following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. Last week we talked about two trees in a garden. And we talked about the curse of legalism. If you didn't want to hear, it's worth a rewatch. And uh, we really feel like the Lord is laying a foundation because we're moving to Passover. And this year, Passover is not about getting out of Egypt. We've already got out of Egypt. This year, Passover is about crossing the Jordan and entering into our inheritance. I'm headed to Israel this week. There's a crew of our church going with us. And uh, we're going to be, we looked at the calendar, on the day of Purim, it looks like we will be at Jericho, where they crossed the Jordan and entered their inheritance. And we're going to be decreeing from there for you that this is the year that whatever's been trying to hold you back is going to be broken off and the walls are going to come down and you're going to enter into your land of promise. So we'll do you a video from there as we're praying for you uh, in Israel. But we need to get a good foundation built because, unfortunately, a lot of people can't release their faith because they don't have a solid understanding of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. This week, like you, I fight battles just like you do, mostly every week on some level. And I love my little book, God Calling. I've been reading this book for 30 years, I guess. And I, I love it when you're just desperate and you just pick up at something that speaks right to you. So I picked this up uh, on March 5th. Here's what it says. Fear is evil. Have no fear. Fear is evil. And perfect love casts out fear. There is no room for fear in the heart in which I dwell. Fear destroys hope. It cannot exist where love is or where faith is. Fear is the curse of the world. Man is afraid. Afraid of poverty, afraid of loneliness, afraid of unemployment, afraid of sickness. Many, many are man's fears. Nation is afraid of nation. Fear, fear, fear everywhere. Fight fear as you would a plague. Turn it out of your lives and homes. Fight it singly. Fight it together. Never inspire fear. It is an evil ally. Fear of punishment. Fear of blame. No work that employs this enemy of mine is work for me. Hear this. No work that employs fear as a tactic is a work from God. There's got to be another way, a better way. Ask me and I will show you. Today I want to decree and declare to you 1 John 4 and 18 that simply says, let's put it up on the screen, there is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. They say babies are born with two natural fears. Fear of falling and fear of loud noises. But then a study on fear conducted on 500 adults, varying ages, varying backgrounds, and varying lifestyles, the results showed over 7,000 common fears. That means they had to learn 6,998 fears as they were growing. We are designed for faith, not fear. Fear was foreign in the garden until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3 and 10 says something like this. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That's the first place in the Bible we see fear entering the earth realm. Since then, man has been living in the realm of fear, and it all originates. Here, get this. It all originates from a feeling of being separated from God. All fear originates in a feeling, an illusion of being separated from God. Now, this concept of fear, unfortunately, has been broadcast and propitiated, if you will, by even by the church in fear-based theology. My brother Dan and I can testify, we grew up in church, they could preach on hell so good, you'd feel it. Burning your behind, sitting in the pew. Fear-based concept, fear-based theology. In my Jesus Calling book, it says, any work that employs fear is not from God. Because I can tell you, as a teenager, even though hell was preached, it didn't change me. I still live like hell. But we've bought into a fear-based mindset theology. It's built on two scriptures. Isaiah 59 and 2. Here's what it says. We We read this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And if you read that by itself out of context. When you read something out of context you get conned. You get confused. Condemned. If you read that in context, it's not saying that God leaves us because of sin, but we leave God when we sin. If you remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't leave. God showed back up. Adam, where are you? And it says he was naked and afraid and hid himself. The sin that Adam committed did not separate God from Adam. It separated Adam from God in his own mind. 
And so God went on a mission since Adam to break that lie in his people. He started immediately with Adam and killed an animal and covered him with skin and blood to say, look, I'm not going to let this keep you out of fellowship with me. And we see all that transpire all the way through the scriptures. God reaching out to humanity. Paul says this very thing in Colossians 1 and 21. Once you were alienated from God. Can you give me the scripture? Once, Colossians 1 and 21. Hold on, I'm coming. I'll read it to you. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Y'all going to have to get that up for me because I need the power of it. You better hold on. I'm coming. <laughs> what do we do with that scripture? Come again? Working on it's a good thing. Hold on. Here we go. And you, this is important, that's why I want you to see it. And you who once were alienated and enemies, where? In your mind. Alienated enemies in your mind. Jesus came to change the way you think about God, not to change the way God thinks about you. God ain't never changed his mind about you. He was crazy about you in the garden. He was crazy about you when he created you. He looked at you after he created you. And he said, all that was good, but this is very good. And God has always had faith in humanity that humanity would finally get it and come to the revelation and understanding of who he is. That's why it says when Jesus came, he came to show us who God really is. So that we would no longer be alienated and enemies of God in our mind. Second scripture, Habakkuk 1.13. God, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Now, we've been heard that preach. God can't look at sin. God doesn't hear sinners. Read it in context. Remember, don't get conned. Habakkuk is saying, watch this. God, your eyes are too pure to prove evil, and you cannot look with wickedness with favor. So why do you keep looking at it? Hello? Habakkuk's questioning God, not that God doesn't look at it. He's saying, God, I know you're holy. Why do you keep looking at it? God, why do you keep, if you are so holy, why do you keep looking at sin and those who deal treacherously? And why are you silent when wicked swallow up those that are righteous? Because he's always been kind, he's always been gracious, he's always been long-suffering in his heart that even the most evil should repent. I heard a sermon this week on Jonah. Never heard this before. There was a king, I don't forget his name, but he was the king that was so wicked and evil. They had a, a, a customary, they, would, they could slit your face and pull your face off without killing you. And they, that's what they did to punish, punish people in this, in this part of the world. And this wicked king did it to all six of his own children. 
to prove how ruthless he was. You know where that place was? Nineveh. God said, John, I need you to go there for me. No wonder he hid in a well. Huh? Gets to Nineveh, preaches, and it's, this is wild. It says the whole country repents, even the animals. Now, I don't know about you ever been in a revival, but you get in a revival where not only the people repent, but your dogs and cats are, oh, you know, I mean, that's revival right there now. But that's what the scripture says. That's where, that's where the Australian shepherds became healers. It's like this guy sees pointed to his Australian shepherd and said, heal. He went, Jonah preaches. And they all repent, and God removes all the evil that was coming their way. And Jonah says, God, I knew you were like that. I knew you were kind. That's why I didn't want to come. You sent me to speak judgment on it, and I knew what you would do. That's why I didn't want to come. Because you are kind. You are merciful. So the book of Jonah is not about judgment at all. It's about the kindness and the mercy of God. But for so long, we've had this concept that somehow sin has separated us from God. Believe me, if sin separated you from God, we'd all be messed up. And I can tell you, and I can testify to you, I was in the midst of the deepest, darkest sin in my life, and God was still at work. And you can't tell me God loves you. Because I look back, and God saved me from my own self. God was opening and closing doors when I was running from him. We think when you turn from God, he's done with you. No, when you, turn, when you run from God, he chases after you and sends some ahead of you to hedge you in to make sure you get it right to where you're supposed to go. My Bible says his hand's behind me, his hand's before me, his hand's on me. If I go to heaven, he's there. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I take the wings of a bird and go to the other most part of the sea, even there, his spirit shall lead me and guide me. Touch three people and say, you can't get away from God. People say, we need to get a revelation of the fear of the Lord. No, you don't. You need to get a revelation of the love of God. We don't even understand the fear of God. Jesus in Matthew, he quotes that. De- Deuteronomy 6 is where it says, fear the Lord. Jesus quotes the same scripture in Matthew 4. He said, worship the Lord. He quotes Deuteronomy, but he doesn't say fear. He says, worship the Lord. True fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. True fear of the Lord is being afraid to be without God. I'm not afraid of God. I'm afraid to be without God. Why? He's so good. He's so kind. He's so gracious. He's so generous. I never want to live a day on the earth without God on my side. I I, I treasure him. I appreciate him. I don't want to be without him. I need him. I want him. I desire him. That's the fear of the Lord. 
Why do I do that? Because every time I blow it, he comes to me with goodness. And he keeps killing me with kindness. Every time I blow it and think I need deserve punishment, he comes to me with kindness, and you would think punishment kills me, but his kindness is what keeps killing me and humbling me because every time I should receive something terrible, he comes to me with something good, and his goodness just keeps leading me to repentance. Touch three neighbors, touch three neighbors and say, God is good. God sent me to my wife in a drunken stupor at a bar. Come on, somebody. I told my testimony in a small church in Arkansas about how God even led me in my sin and led me to my wife who God had prophetically spoken to that we would be together and preach the gospel to nations. The pastor was single. This 83-year-old woman came up to, me, to him during when we were eating after service. She said, honey, you ain't been seemed able to find a wife. That preacher found one in a bar. Maybe that's where you need to go to get you one. <laughs> See, we've got this terrible concept that's based in fear. And it keeps us from our miracles, keeps us out of our inheritance. Because, look, I'm like you. Every day I can choose to be afraid because I've always done something that should bring punishment. So here's how the enemy plays with us. He'll let you get you know, on a good roll, and then he'll let you slip up a little bit. Wrong attitude, da-da-da-da-da. And then he comes back with that accusation, ah, gotcha. Now you don't know it at the moment, because you're not in a crisis. But as soon as you get back to a, get into a crisis, he comes back and says, remember six months ago? And you think, maybe God's allowing this. And you get in this cycle. But I don't have the scripture, but 1 John 4, 16 says, because love has been perfected, we even have boldness in the day of judgment. Everybody thinks that means end time. That word translated actually means crisis. Because the love has been perfected, even in crisis, you can be bold. Touch three people and say, I don't care what you're going through right now. Be bold. Be bold. Be bold. Why? God loves you. Now, let's get there quick. Just got a couple minutes. Let me show you how it played out. Romans 5, 8. Here's how God demonstrated it. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't, die, Christ didn't wait to demonstrate his love for you until you came to church. Christ has been demonstrating his love for you since the foundations of the earth because Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. While you were yet sinners. Look at the next scripture, verse 10. For if when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So even when we were enemies of God in our own minds, thinking we were separated from God, even then God already saved us and already blessed us. 
And so what, what Paul's trying to get across to us, he said, if God did that before you even knew who he was or what he did, how much more is he going to do it right now when you know him? Touch three people say, hold on, he's coming. And let me just go ahead and say this while I'm here. Listen to me, people of God. The cross was not to satisfy the wrath of God. That's not the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross was to demonstrate the love of God. The cross did not change God's mind about you. It was designed to change your mind about God. When you see the God of heaven and earth, the all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God who was willing to humble himself, come to earth, become a human, and take a beating and die on a cross just to show you you are not separate with me even in your struggle and your sin. I am right here in the midst of it with you. And revealed his love to us. But I, brought up, I was brought up all my life thinking God is angry. How many of you? Three of you. Everybody else got it together, huh? God is angry. And if it weren't for Jesus, he'd get you. And so all my life, it, I, it was like living in an uh, angry father's house, hiding behind mama. But if you ever get out of mama. I even hear renowned preachers that I respect say something like this. If you ever meet the father. Well, that's not, my Bible says Jesus came to show me the father. And I never see Jesus doing this to nobody. Jesus is your best theology. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you see Jesus beating anybody, killing anybody, destroying anybody, no. So if you see the life of Jesus, you've seen the life of the Father. That's got to sink in with us because it'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we approach God. You say, well, Kent, you're just preaching that greasy grace again. That thing, just, you know, just live any way you want to, right? Well, look, Romans 6 says, because of the grace of God, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. What I'm, what I'm saying is sin Oh, it has a great effect on you. It'll kill you. But it, it affects God in no way or fashion. The only way sin affects God is his care and concern for you because he don't want you to die the death of sin. He's desperately wanting to get you out of it. And he was so desperate to get you out of it, he sent his son to die on a cross to demonstrate his love so you would know a way out from wherever you are. But it doesn't change God's attitude towards you. In my, in my experience, the deeper in sin I am, that's when God has been the closest to me. 
Because he comes to where I'm at because he doesn't want me to stay there. He's trying to get me out of it because he knows it's going to destroy my life. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to convict you, it's a real conviction. But he's not convicting you because God is angry with you. He's convicting you because he knows what your end's about to kill you. And he's trying to snatch you out of it and get you on another place. Touch three people say, hang on, he's coming. Say, hang on, he's coming. He is coming as a thief in the night. You ever heard that one? Man, I used to be scared to, if I played outside with short britches on, I'd be, if Jesus came on, I want to go put long britches on before he got here. I didn't want to be caught with my short britches on. All right, y'all ever grew up in that kind of stuff? Oh, he comes as a thief in the night. But not, that's not, but not talking about the rapture. He comes as a thief in the night to get you out of sin. He so loves you, he'll, st- he'll sneak in at night. I've had God sneak in on me in the midst of my sin, and I didn't even know what he was doing. And before I knew it, he snuck in like a thief and snatched me out, snatched me out of the enemy's hands. Touch three people and say, the Lord will come in stealth on you and snatch you out of the enemy's hands. Come on, somebody. Let me get my paper Bible out. Romans 8. We're almost there. Y'all okay so far? Thank you. What shall we say then to these things? What you got to say about this? Ha! If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Because he did not spare his own son, how will he not with him? Now, if he didn't spare Jesus, why would he spare healing? Why would he spare deliverance? Why would he spare provision? Why would he spare protection? He's already given you the best he's got, his son Jesus Christ. And so with him, now freely, come on, freely, you can have all things. Spared not his own son. I was asked to come speak at a a women's bowling convention. 150 women bowlers. I said, are they Christian? They said, no, not most of them. I said, what do you want me to do? They said, just say something, say a prayer or something. I said, Lord, what in the world am I going to say to 150 women bowlers? <laughs> Go get them. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> Holy Spirit's so cool. He gave me the scripture I just shared with you. I spoke to him and I said, when God sent Jesus, he didn't roll a spare. He rolled a strike. He did not spare his own son. He rolled a strike when he sent Jesus and did away with all sin. So if you preach to bowlers, there's your message. All right, here we go. Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is risen. Who is at the right hand of God making intercession for us? Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword, and as you're written, we're all day killed for your sake. We're counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall ever be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Touch three people say, you can't shake me loose from him. Hold on. He's coming. Look at Ephesians 3. And we'll get ready to take communion together. Paul the Apostle, I think it's one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Here's what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do do for us today in communion. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in your inner man. Listen to me, somebody. Put your hand on your belly. In just a few moments, we're going to receive something supernatural. What's going to happen is he's going to grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to receive a strength through his Spirit in our inner man. What's, how are we going to do it? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love. That you may not be shaken because you're so persuaded and convinced of the love of God. Now that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width, the length, the depth, and the height. And to know the love of Christ which even passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You'll never receive everything God has for you until you're convinced of his love. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, be glory and honor. Amen. Had a great privilege to be friends of Oral Roberts before he died. Bev and I spent a lot of time with him and Evelyn and they were up in age at this time and we were sitting eating with them one day and Evelyn told us the story. Oral Roberts' great, you know, miracles and healing revival. I mean, history records just the, I think when we were fellowshiping with him, he had laid his hands personally on several million people. So many that he had to have rotator cuff repaired on that arm that he reached out to so many people with. And miracles beyond comprehension. He loved to play golf. And Evelyn told us one day he came in and he was out playing around the golf. And after, you know, he's on up in that age now, probably 78, 79 years old. 
said he came in, he was just sobbing. He said, Evelyn, God loves me. She said, well, of course he loves you, Oral. I mean, you've been preaching about it for 60 years. He goes, nope. He loves me. She said, what in the world happened to you? He said, I was on the seventh tee, about to hit tee off, and all of a sudden, the love of God filled my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. And I was staggered at how someone could preach the gospel for 60 years and see great signs and wonders and miracles but never really be persuaded in a strong, strong way of the love of God. Well, if it could happen to Oral Roberts, surely we could struggle with it. I think the whole thing's going to wind up to this. At the end of the day, we're all just struggling to be loved. We just struggle with this concept that we're agapied. That we're loved unconditionally. We're loved even though we can't do anything back. And we struggle with that. Because it goes against our human nature just to think we're just loved. End of story. I picture my grandkids, sometimes I just want to squeeze them till it almost hurts them. And I'm just wanting to love them, but boy, when I get them, they're... They're trying to get away. I think that's how we are with God. He's just trying to give us a big old bear hug and we're just trying to get away from it, right? But he loves us and he loves us unconditionally. And I'm praying today as we partake of communion because I know it can't come, nat- it can't come intellectually. 1 John 4 and 15 says, we have known and believed the love of God. I'm sure anybody here, if I say, if you ask, did God love you? Yeah, God loves me. Big difference between knowing it and believing it. Romans 5 said, actually, the Holy Spirit will shed abroad in your heart the love of God. He will, he, he's able to fill you in an experience today with love in your heart that you are absolutely saturated on the inside with it. And what's wild is everybody here, myself being the chief among us, do so many things that are unlovable. But he just won't quit loving us. I can't make him quit. I've tried. He just won't quit. He won't quit me. It's overwhelming. He just won't quit. He's tenacious about it. There's a old, old song I'd like for us to do as we get ready for communion. Maybe Jeremy can do it for us in a minute. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. 
it goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. When hoary time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies a parchment made and every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky the height and the depth, the width and the length. You say, what is that? Psalm 103 says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who love him. How wide? It says he's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. The depth and the width of the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts today by the Holy Spirit. Would you stand up with me and let's take communion together today? The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star that reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call God's love so sure shall still and angels who 
and feel and where the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It's forevermore endure the saints in angels. God, we thank you today for your great love. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall look like, but when we see him as he is, we shall be just like him. Lord, open our eyes today. Let us see the love of God. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. By the stripes that fell on his back, my body is healed. From the crown of my head to the very soles of my feet. Every cell, every organ, every function of my body is healed, restored, and renewed in Jesus' name. I receive physical, spiritual, and emotional healing today through the broken body of Christ and the price that he prayed for me. And we partake by faith now in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious blood. Your sin-free disease-free, poverty-free life is in this blood. And your shed blood has removed every sin in my life. Past, present, and future. Through your blood, I am forgiven of all my sins and made completely righteous. Today, we celebrate and partake of the inheritance of the righteous, which is preservation, healing, wholeness, and provision. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us to the point you'd come and die on the cross and extravagantly demonstrate your love to us. So, Lord, we take the cup and we receive the blood today. In Jesus' name, take my faith. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Yeah, he loves us. 
I know we got to get out of here. But I'm enjoying hanging out with y'all for a minute. The love of God is just washing over us. Jeremy and I were worshiping the Lord. Uh, is this the one about this old broken heart has finally found a home? Yeah. I love that one. Jeremy and I have been hanging out worshiping the Lord together lately. We just sing to Jesus like we know what we're doing. And he sang this uh, that just wrecked us. And I want him to just sit one, one more song and I'll let you go. I promise. I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you, Lord. More than words can say, I need you more than ever before. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. More than the air I breathe. More than the air I breathe. More than the song I sing, more than the song I sing, more than the next heartbeat, more than anything, more than anything. And Lord, as time goes by, I'll be by your side, cause I never want to go back to my can say more than words can say I need you Lord than ever before than ever before I need you Lord I need you Lord six oh right here in your presence is Cause I never want to go back I never want to go back There's nothing behind me to go back to Cause I never want to go back Hey I never want to go back To my old life I need you more. 
to you. Can we just do one more little one and I'll let you go. I swear to you. I just need one. just one more. I promise. Can you do holy love? Many waters cannot quench your cannot overwhelm all sense of fear cannot conceal your love for me <laughs> many waters cannot quench your
Father, we just receive the love of God today. Lord, we pray like a crashing wave. Just throw us to the bottom of the ocean and just hold us and not let us up till we're just saturated with the love of God. Lord, we're convinced one reason we don't love other people better is because we don't even really believe we're loved ourselves. So God, we just ask you today that you would just saturate us, fill us, convince us, persuade us of your great love for us, no matter where we currently are, what our current circumstances or situation may be, somehow your love's gonna see us through to the other side. Hold on, I'm coming. I believe that's a word from the Lord today. And because of the love of God, we're gonna walk into a new place of victory in many, many places of our lives. Receive it, believe it, and walk in it in Jesus' name. And everybody in agreement shouted amen. I love you. Be blessed. This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.